0: Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows LIDE presents Revolution, featuring your host, Hi C Lutner.
1: And welcome to another episode of Revolution. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening and joining the conversation here. As we always do, we will be starting off with our roundtable discussion, and I am joined by my fellow co-hosts and colleagues. Uh, however, we do have a, a special guest co-host this time. Uh, my first guest uh, co-host is John Caricella, Good morning. who hosts. Convergence on the third Sunday of each month. And our special guest co-host for this roundtable is Robin White turtle Listening.
2: Hi, how are you?
1: <laughs> I am good. And she is the host of Evolve, which airs on the third Thursdays of each month uh, at two o'clock in the afternoon uh, Pacific time. And we send our best wishes out to Mildred Lynn McDonald, who is normally part of these roundtables. She uh, has a family emergency in Canada that hopefully is is turning out for the better. So uh, the topic that I wanted to bring to our round table this month is one. It, I was thinking one. Here we are at the end of the year. A lot of people are thinking about plans for the coming year, what their resolutions are going to be, or what their goals are going to be, or where they want to be at the end of next year, and that kind of thing. So thinking about a little bit of the, the future and where they're going, and we also often hear a phrase like, you know, uh, that we need to be in the present moment, we need to stay in the now, um, and so it struck me that there's a little bit of a challenge in those two things because we're We hear a lot about thinking about our goals for the new year, et cetera, and then we're also hearing a lot about staying in the present. So I wanted to bring this idea of how do we stay centered in the present or how do we stay grounded in the now while Mm -hmm. still thinking about, maybe worrying about or planning for the future in some way. So my, my first question that I wanted to put to my esteemed colleagues is when you hear that phrase, uh, you know, stay in the present, uh, be grounded in the now. What does that mean to you?
2: Yeah, I would, um, um, I'll I'll go first if that's okay. Um, this is Robin. I, I I feel like for me that phrase means bring yourself back to the present, and and, and uh, you've got your do list written down, so just just be now in the moment of enjoying this life. So for me, it's like, um, you know, we can think about and plan the future. And I think it's a little tricky because planning the future just puts you in the future, does, does put your mind into the future. But then we have to pull ourselves back into this moment. And um, so allowing ourselves to just drop into the pleasure and to the enjoyment of what's around us and noticing other people and noticing the interactions that we have—that that, that uh, makes life more enjoyable. And it also brings you into a presence of mind that then keeps you more alert and helps you uh, really feel fully alive in the moment. So for me, it's about being fully alive.
1: And and what would you, what would you suggest to people as ways to maybe. Uh, to kind of be able to to gauge that they are in the present, that they are staying focused in that place and that they found a way to be there.
2: Well, I think, I think the oldest method of bringing you back into the moment is, is breathing. And so, you know, taking a deep breath, grounding yourself like in the middle of Sears or the middle of Kmart or Walmart or wherever you might be shopping you know brings you back uh into your feet and the other thing that helps me is to just notice my feet where are my feet right now and um so the breath you know breathing taking a couple deep breaths and just allowing yourself to uh come back from time and space out there with all the other things that might have to be done just coming back into your own body and and witnessing what you're seeing out of your own eyes and hearing what you're hearing The breath is one of the oldest methods of doing that, and I use that all the time. (laughs) So that's the way.
1: And and would you say, is there a difference in in how you feel, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually? Can can you tell a difference in how you feel that helps you to gauge, oh, I'm, I'm recentered back in the present versus I'm not really here in the present moment?
2: Yeah, I think if you're worrying and you're, you it pulls you out of worry. So one of the things that I notice is instead of perseverating about how I'm going to actually get everything done, when I take a breath and breathe and slow down and um, actually slowing down can help me move quicker. So, uh, you know, can help me just go with the flow of my energy rather than trying to force myself through the day. Um, so the breathing the breathing helps a lot and it also helps me uh i use my three the three stars of the self which i've been taught by my guides you know the star above our heads the one in our hearts and the one in our pelvises and if you if you breathe into the top of your head and exhale out your feet that brings you into your body completely and it, it gives you, you can do it in a split second and it will bring you fully present back. And then the worry goes away and it's like, okay, I'm here now and I'm getting this and I'm enjoying my children or I'm enjoying my family or I'm enjoying that little kid that's coming toward me and I'm waving and saying hi to it. You know, so it it can bring you back into the enjoyment of the moment. And uh, the three stars works like a charm. So, I use that all the time
3: all the time
1: and and john one what is what does it mean to you when you hear that phrase you know be in the present moment, stay in the now and when when you if you experience that um how do you how do you gauge that that feeling of what it feels like when you're centered in that way versus not?
4: well, I think for me the phrase you know get grounded be in the present moment. There's there's sort of two different aspects of it for me, uh, and I've been trying to bring them together over the years, but it's a little bit tricky. Um, being in the present moment for me, uh, it 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 invites me to uh, relinquish worries, which I think most of my uh, historical tension has been worry about the future. Uh, as I've gotten older, and that uh, there's more miles on the odometer, uh, there's also the sort of uh, regrets about the past, right? And so, so the call to be in the present moment is an invitation to release worry about the future and sadness or regrets about the past. And so, that's so what it calls me to. Uh, to the idea of being grounded. Has been something that I've that I've struggled with for a long time in trying to understand that actually what does it actually mean to be grounded? How do you how do you you know? There's all kinds of esoteric descriptions of uh, of how to do it, but how do you know when that's happening and what does it feel like? That has been a challenge for me, and so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, the, the the methodology. I agree with Robin the breath is an extraordinarily powerful uh and very reliable tool to put you into the present moment and it does require a little bit of practice and and maybe a little bit of coaching to uh figure out how to do that right how to use the breath to do that and Robin gave one example of breathing you know in, inhaling through the top of your head and exhaling through your feet but even that requires some Maybe some description and some coaching but the the idea that you can find some kind of immediate satisfaction, simply breathing is a powerful way of coming into the present moment, and yeah it reminds me of a of a Buddhist invitation question: what in this moment is lacking? We can have all these stories and tell all these stories about what's not right in our lives. But for many of us, certainly for most of us who live in the privilege of a wealthy country, any given moment, if we relinquish notions about what should be or what could have been, we're never, very rarely, are we threatened by existentialist Challenge, right? You know, we're gonna, we're, we have air to breathe, we have water to drink, we have food to eat. We most of us will have a coat uh, to keep us warm. In any given moment, we'll be usually okay. And so, it's the stories we tell about how we how we would like the present moment to be different that take us out of the present moment. But those are just stories. And so we can let go of those stories and be present to what. Is. It's in being present to what is that uh, lots of little gifts are revealed. So I know I'm in the present moment when I am noticing what is being offered in that moment. You know, I'm, I'm noticing that when I look out, like right at this moment, I'm, I can look out the window and see how the rain and the fog are obscuring the treetops across the valley and they look beautiful and soft and it looks like, you know, a a, a black and white photograph, a John Muir photograph or something. I, I can look at the, the way the, uh, the raindrops on the window are dripping down the pane of glass. You know, and so I know I'm in the present moment when I'm noticing
2: mm-hmm.
4: and that makes me feel, you know, it feeds, it, oddly enough, I mean, it's not odd. It feeds my artistic self. I, I, I notice beauty more when I'm noticing. All right. Now, well, the grounding I mean, piece, I don't know, I one, just one, one last comment. You know, the grounding piece, I've been trying to figure out what, what being grounded means for a long time. And, you know, the best that I have come up with so far is to say, I am made of, my body is made of, Materials extracted from Mother Earth, so I'm really never not grounded. My body is always grounded because it is made of ground. It is made of this planet, and I am uh, hugged by Mother Earth through the force of gravity, and so I'm always grounded. Mm -hmm. Question is: Am I noticing what that? am, Am I noticing the truth of that? Am I noticing that? Hey, yeah, I actually have a body and that body is grounded to this planet. And then exploring the psychological and spiritual implications of that. So I'm still, I have to admit, I'm still working on this part of the problem.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it brings in what you were just saying about beauty and bringing in your artistic self. It also it also brings in gratitude. So when you can, you know, see something beautiful in front of you that's right there that, that you wouldn't have noticed five minutes before because of the uh, rushing or the do list or or I have to get XYZ done this today, you know, you drop into, I mean, I'm, you know, using the general you here, We we can drop into that moment and appreciate what's right in front of us in a way that we can't otherwise or we don't otherwise. And
4: yeah, I think... And the, a, and the gratitude is huge, yes. The gratitude, gratitude is big, a big Yeah, bonus. and then
2: gratitude... Yeah, and then we enjoy the moment even more. So I think gratitude, uh, breathing and then gratitude, they really go together just stopping and appreciating what we have and who we are and where we are and how we got here and all those things.
1: Well, and I think one of the big themes that has come up in what both of you have been saying is uh, one of the keys really to either being or coming back to being in the present or being grounded is slowing down. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And we we live in a society that is constantly rushing and seems to constantly be creating things to make everything go faster. Um, And it's that that slowing down process, because we get so caught up in where we're going next, where we need to be next, what's going to happen next, that we start losing sight of where we are. Um, So what would you say for each of you, just one thing that is the biggest hindrance or, or is the biggest trigger for you to suddenly not be in the present moment, but to start Getting caught up or carried away with the past or the future uh rather than just being in this moment of the now
4: oh that's that's easy uh it's self judgment right any any virtually every uh every time i find myself not present or not present enough you know like in an unsatisfactory way not present. It's because I'm doubting myself uh, or judging myself as in, inadequate or insufficient regarding something that happened in the past, or some plan that I want to facilitate happening in the future, but I'm afraid won't well, we'll, I won't be able to do, or I, I'm at wits' end about how to proceed, or whatever. So it's always come. It's not. It's not the fact. It's not mem. It's not remembering. And it's not planning; it's the discomfort that comes from remembering or planning. That actually takes me away from wholeness, and it it removes me from being present at the same time. Because you know, you talked about uh, this is the time of year when we make plans for the for the new year, and we we set intentions and so on and so forth. You can still be in the present moment and savoring the act creating intentions, because that's both being in the present moment and serving the the ideas of you for your future. It's when you have anxiety. For me, it's when I have anxiety about whether I'm actually going to be able to do it or feeling bad about myself in some way that I haven't already accomplished it. I'm not where I think I should be. That's when I leave the present moment in an uncomfortable way. So self-judgment
2: yeah and I I would say um, giving yourself um, anxiety is a really good one because it's it's so prevalent in our culture I mean we're a culture of doing and not being because you know everybody has their do list but then also you know our culture is all about your productiveness and things so um, but there's an old Buddhist saying, again, hearkening uh, back to the Buddhists, that do without doing and everything gets done. And really what to me that says is be in the moment and the, the, you get in the flow and the flow will actually take us to where we need to be. So um, that's what I get from that saying and I use it a lot in my own mental gyrations, you know, like do without doing and and then you get in the flow of things and then in the flow of things, you don't have to, um, you don't worry, you just are, you just are being and I think that's a shift that our whole culture is making from doing to being and then once you're being, you can do, but you're not doing as a primary focus of your identity, your being becomes the identity. And then it's a lot easier.
1: (laughs) Well, and I, I think that that speaks to, even on a very everyday level, if we just focus on doing the task in front of us, each time that there is a task in front of us, we'll get to the end of the day and be able to say, oh, wow, look at how much I accomplished today. But if we're in the middle of a task and we're constantly looking at, a to-do list or something and worrying about the seven other things that I have put down to get done today or what I need to do tomorrow, then suddenly we're not focused on the doing of what we're just doing and it takes us out of that moment and it creates the anxiety and then we may not even do what we're doing to the best of our ability because we may then rush through it because we're suddenly worried about, oh, I'm not going to have time to get to the other seven things. I better just do this as quick as I can, cut a corner here or you know, whatever, uh, not pay attention. And then we realize we have to go back to it later because we forgot something rather than just being with it (laughs) enough to actually complete it fully and completely. Um, And You know, I saw when you were talking about there's a a shift in our culture, Um, and I think that we see it very interestingly kind of in the, it might sound odd, but coming perhaps from the tech world in the way that a lot of companies now are structured, a lot of the things that they are encouraging or providing for employees. Um, And there was uh, an example I saw, it was a blog post by somebody from Google, and they gave a suggestion that I think actually is very um, apropos for what we're talking about, um, that everybody always is putting on their calendars and like their day is broken up into like 30 minute meetings. And so they're rushing off to a meeting. When they're in the meeting, they're trying to rush through it or they're looking to see where they need to be next. So they're not fully present in that meeting anyway. They're either just saying what they need to say in order to get through the meeting to get to the next meeting. They're not paying attention to what other people are saying because they're too worried about where they need to be next or thinking about what they're going to have to talk about or have prepared for the next meeting. And so one of the things that they suggested was they said, it's a, you know, obviously it's a fact of life that there are meetings that are going to happen when you're in a workplace. However, if you find if you can make certain days where you schedule meetings that way, but then choose one day a week or more, depending on how you can structure this, where you actually block out, say, half a day or a whole day to just work on something, rather than it being, oh, I can work on this for 30 minutes and then I go off to seven meetings and hopefully I can come back and do another 30 minutes on this you know, later this afternoon. If we can just block out the half day or the whole day, And then just be with what we need to be doing fully and immersively and completely for an extended period of time, Mm -hmm. then I think that's a very uh, strong way of – like you were saying, Robin – do without doing because you're actually able to just be with what you 're doing without worrying about oh i've got ten minutes to do this, and we keep looking at our watch while we're trying to get the email typed, or you know whatever versus nope, I can just focus on what i'm doing because I know i don't have to worry about anything for another four hours right um, so so that I think is is one tip, one suggestion, one way so i'm I'm curious from uh, each of you if you have any last Uh, everyday kind of tips. Robin, if you want to talk about how to do the, the three stars thing for people or if you have some other tip, John, if you have a suggestion for people on how they might go about creating a space and being more conscientious about staying present even amidst planning for the future and having other things going on.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think the one thing that really helps me is to have a space in my house. Uh, uh, I have a little altar where I just have a candle and a glass of water and a picture of people that I feel are uh, spiritually enlightened. And then I I sit with that. And what I try to do is start with a star above my head or the light that is in my seventh chakra. And then I feel it coming down inside my head and into my throat And into my heart and then in my heart I have another star and that star is my relational star and it shines all through my chest down my arms and into my belly and then in my belly I have a third star in the dantian which is used in a lot of martial arts it's the kind of the center balance low balance of ourselves and that can relate to our grounding and so it, connecting with that and then sending light through our feet all the way to the center of the earth can really help you get connected with the heart of the earth mother and then i bring the light up through from the center of the earth not in not just below the surface but all the way to the center and i bring that up through my feet knees and hips and into my heart and then i feel completely in the moment and and then i can i think the other piece i want to share is that then we need to just receive the blessing of the moment because there's a lot of grace that we can get in touch with if we get centered and if we get grounded. And so this exercise really helps people get centered and grounded. And you can do it anywhere. You don't have to just have it in front of your altar. You can do it driving. You can do it, you know, without closing your eyes, of course. (laughs) Uh, You can do it in the shopping mall. You can do it at the gas station. You know, just get yourself grounded and start with your stars and ground into the earth and come back into your heart. And then the world looks different. It really does when you do that because you're present. You're present, as John said, to the droplets of the water and the glass rather than where I have to be next. So.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you. thank you for sharing that, Robin.
4: Mm-hmm. And, for, and for me, it, it's, you know, um, I, I was some pretty profound wisdom from um Raina Sewer who taught me uh contact improv dance. Uh she said the body is the perfect instrument for measuring the now.
5: Mm-hmm. Because
4: your mind can be in the future or in the past and your heart, your emotions can be all over the place. But your body is always right here, right mm-hmm. now. And the power of that, when you, when, so, so the, the, the tip is focus on your sensate awareness. If you stop what you're doing, if you stop your churn, if you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not feeling safe, I'm not feeling grounded, I'm not feeling uh, uh, in the present moment, feel something with your body, right? Yeah. Feel your, you know, run your fingers along. The seam of your blue jeans. Uh, give your palm on, you know, on the side of the thumb of your other hand. Uh, just take a deep breath and see what you can smell, right? Get your awareness into your body. That sensate awareness will always be a, a, a doorway and an opportunity to get into the present moment. And then it becomes a, a process of. What in this moment is lacking, right? Okay, I can breathe. I'm I'm not thirsty. You know, whatever, right? Like, in this very moment, in this breath, I'm okay. And then it's, I have this little mantra that I that I say, say uh, stay present to what is, say yes to what's being offered. And Rob, you talked a little bit about this. You alluded to this, that, in the moment, there are incredible gifts, right? But even so, right, even if there aren't, here's the deal. The present moment is always a place from which you begin the next step of the journey. So if you say yes to what's being offered, it's not that you're saying yes to the conditions that you are are. Uh willing to be in forever, what you're doing is you're saying yes to whatever opportunities exist in the moment because those are the only ones that exist ones in the moment Any other opportunity isn't here yet, so saying yes to what's being offered in the moment is your is your most grounded path to whatever future you desire so that those two things get into your sensate awareness. Stay present to this, and
3: say yes to what it being offered. Those are the thank techniques you. that I use. Oh, good, John. Yeah. <laughs> excellent.
1: So I'm going to take this moment to say thank you to my fellow co-hosts for having joined me in this roundtable discussion. So my thank you to host of Convergence on the third Sundays of each month, John Carasella.
4: Always a pleasure, I see.
1: And my thanks to Robin White-Turtle-Lisney, host of Evolve on the third Thursdays of each month.
2: Thank you, C. Always a pleasure. Good to hear you, Jack.
1: <laughs> and thank you to everyone who is listening. I encourage you to stay tuned. You're listening to Revolution with C, and we will be right back. If you would like to get into the queue to receive a reading a little later in the show, you can connect in from the show page or you can call 646-716-5510 to get into the queue. So stay tuned and we will be right back.
3: There's so many stars in the sky. Could live my life Which one will I Make part of my plan There's so many spirits In the air tonight Trying to pull me away You're a part of me You're in every breath that I breathe Gonna take a step backwards If I don't see a thing You're a part of me
0: You're listening to Revolution with host Hi-C Lutmers Find out more At facebook.com Slash Revolution with Hi-C This is what I dream To be real This is my
3: reality there's so Everyone could be yours, but then...
1: My revolutionary guest this month is artist, writer, yogi, and astrologer James Moran. James has studied astrology principally under Richard Tarnas since 2008. A yoga instructor trained by the Iyengar family in Poon, India, James received his teaching certification from Rodney Yee and has led yoga classes for Fortune 500 companies such as Google, Cisco, and Yahoo. His astrology practice is informed by his two decades of experience in yoga and meditation. James is also an artist and a writer who regularly publishes fiction, poetry, and material on yoga and astrology. His writing has been published in Archi, the Journal of Archetypal Cosmology, as well as other journals. A native of the Washington, D.C. area, he studied at the University of California at Santa Cruz you can find out more about James and the services he offers by visiting his website at jamesmoran.co. So please join me in welcoming revolutionary guest, James Moran. And welcome, 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 James Moran to Revolution. Right.
6: Thank you, Heisey. That was wonderful.
1: (laughs) I hope you're doing well today.
6: I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Excellent.
1: Um, So I uh, thought it quite appropriate, the roundtable discussion, since there was much about staying in the present while thinking about and planning for the future, and here we are to talk about the astrology of the year, which often people think of as predicting things, etc., but I think that if we remember the stars compel rather than impel, that we always have the choice. It's just understanding what influences are there for us to be aware of, how we can work best with them, or what to be best prepared for. Um, So uh, maybe just uh, leading off from that, if you could just give a little bit of your own philosophy around what astrology is for you, why you work in it, and how you feel it is helpful and beneficial for people
6: definitely uh, very it, kind of using the terminology that you were saying about how the uh the you, the use of astrology is, you know can be seen as kind of a predictive instrument. I actually look at it as something of almost like a tool for meditation in the sense that the way I look at the quote-unquote influence of the stars is actually not so much of an influence as much as a reflection. And this goes along the lines of the kind of as above, so below, whatever is in the microcosm is in the macrocosm uh, type of uh, worldview. Basically, whatever is happening you know, life or the life of the world events Um, is reflected in the big picture, which is the stars, the positions of the planets. Um, And it can be used as a meditation practice in much the same way that mindfulness meditation can be used as a meditation practice in that, you know, mindfulness meditation, we sit, we are aware of the breath, which is very much linked to what um, you were talking about in the roundtable discussion where whatever comes up, you're, you, the point is to become aware of it, to kind of accept it, that this is what's here, this is what's in the present moment, this is um, uh, this is what's going on, and let me be with it, let me be present with it, rather than, uh, you know, dividing my energy and kind of resisting that this is the reality of what's happening right now. Like, what is the reality of what's happening right now? If it's something wonderful, let me experience it fully. If it's something challenging, let me meet that challenge um, and uh, so, looking at the stars, they're also kind of um, just things to see what's coming up right now. They're they're just kind of archetypes to see what's coming up, so that you can see, oh, this thing that's happening right now, it 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 really is happening. I mean, it's conf- it's it's kind of it's reflected in the stars. These are the actual energies that play, and when we get to know what are the archetypes, what are the actual energies, we can see, oh, actually they have these lessons to teach us. They have, if we accept, okay, this is what's happening right now. This is, let me see what is the best I can make of it. You know, then it oftentimes the archetypes will have some lesson to teach us. They'll have some kind of uh, character development in mind for us to kind of Reach towards our higher potential. Excellent.
1: So, as we think about that and are thinking about 2016, now I like to think of um, astrology in terms of the way we're going to talk about it today. It's kind of going to the weather forecaster and saying, what are the weather patterns that are going to be moving through the year? Like if they said, well, it's going to be an El Nino year or it's going to be a heavy hurricane season or something like that, because those bigger aspects uh, affect all of us because we're all underneath that, but they will affect us all individually in different ways, which – I think can be seen what areas may be impacted if somebody looked at their personal charts, which they can easily do um, at astro.com. You can get your free chart um, with explanation of things on there. Um, but looking at the the transit through which house can give you indication of what area of your life might be most affected um, from different things. Uh, so if we're thinking about the overall year and what some of the weather patterns and things are, what would you say are some of the primary themes, lessons, um, focus that seem to be standing out as characterizing 2016 astrologically?
6: Sure. Um, I'll start by saying that I really like your metaphor. That's another great metaphor for talking about astrology because in that way, astrology can be used, used as an actual practical tool because, you know, if you listen to the weather forecast and it's forecasting rain, you're going to bring your umbrella. Um, you know, if you're listening to the weather forecast and it's forecasting snow, you're going to be prepared. If it's forecasting a season that looks like flooding or whatnot, you know, you're going to be prepared. Um,
1: and and that in mind... And that's where I think of it. it's also important to look at our individual charts because, while we may all be affected by the rainstorm, it could water the garden and be just what you need for your garden to thrive that you've been cultivating. And it could also my next door neighbor, it could be flooding their basement. So exactly. you know, that that's what looking at the personal chart gives you that sense of is what house is being transited by the planet that the planet is moving through and then what area of your life is it going to flood the basement or is it going to be just what the garden needs to grow and to thrive and so that helps us to know how to prepare and how to best
6: that i think that's exactly right yeah that's i mean that's a very that's a it's both a very healthy overall way of looking at astrology and also it's it's it it shows a good understanding of astrology that you know you Mm -hmm. want to if you want to find out what is, uh, if you want to find out kind of where you're at, particularly individually, or all the various life cycles that are kind of described by astrology, you know, you can look at your own chart and your own transits. Um, and what we're going to talk about right now is a little bit more the world transits, kind of the backdrop of what's this, how is the stage set in terms of world events? What are the, what's the you know, what what is what are the what's the background background that we're all kind of in playing against. Um so with that in mind, it's funny that we're talking about weather because one of the biggest transits for this year, and it's actually was going on last year and will continue a bit into two thousand seventeen, but this year is kind of the real heart of the storm, is uh a transit, which is a transit of Saturn to Neptune. So what that means is um, Saturn, the planet, um, as seen in the sky, if you were to, you know, see Saturn is the last visible planet. So at night, if you were to look up and spot Saturn, Neptune is Saturn's in there. Neptune's in Pisces. Those two signs are 90 degrees from each other. And, and Saturn is now 90 degrees from Neptune. That's called a square. That's called a, Hard aspect, which means challenging aspect, and uh, when you have Saturn and Neptune in that hard angle to each other, the archetype of Saturn and the archetype of Neptune combine in a way that kind of forces any square aspect between any archetypes is going to kind of be ch- challenge the world, uh, kind of challenge the collective or collective culture. And so Saturn is the archetype of uh the reality check the kind of the bottom line the 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 f- the facts of life the hard um the hard aspects of reality the practical uh obligations of life and Neptune is quite the opposite it's neptune is the the you know neptune was the ocean and Neptune is the archetype of kind of the the oceanic realms that have no boundaries, they have no center, they they they're associated with infinity, with heaven, and Neptune's associated with, with the actual ocean, um, it's associated with the imagination and a spirituality. And when you have these difficult the, you have this combination of the kind of the, the oceanic spiritual of Neptune in, in aspect to the real Heaviness the gravity and gravitas of Saturn um you have uh you have, you, you have very literal uh manifestations of it which are things that have to do with water and the ocean that are very kind of uh um challenging heavy uh in the last one we had was the opposition between the two planets I was in two thousand and five and right as it came into orb, which means right as they those two plants activated each other. Katrina, um, uh the tsunami in uh the Indian Ocean. This time around we have, you know, refugee crisis, the the of woe on the on the seas, you know, the Mediterranean um, you know, people that are just kind of like put into boats and it's, uh, it's, it's very challenging story. Everybody knows the headlines all across the world. Um, and so there's also other aspects to this combination, which are, uh, Saturn is associated with, with structures and boundaries. Um, you know, in order to be actually here with your feet on the ground on earth, not only do you need gravity, which, you know, was spoken about in the, uh, in the roundtable discussion you know that saturn what keeps you grounded um you also need structure you need bones something that kind of is your support structure against uh gravity and you need uh in a more you know widening out into a kind of metaphorical sense you need the structure of a home you need the structure of a job a schedule uh, a a country that has borders and 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 so again saturn is borders and Neptune, being the oceanic, it doesn't have any borders. It doesn't have any kind uh, of infinite. Not um, only that, it tends to dissolve whatever archetypes kind of come in contact with it. So we have also that kind of um, question going on in Europe of, you know, where do we make the borders porous and let kind of the influx of refugees, where do we kind of make the borders more uh, secure? Uh and uh we the we had um i think it was the conjunction when the two planets were together uh in 1989 we had the same question with uh the berlin wall um is that border necessary and then eventually it got dissolved by saturn completely and that's kind of a positive manifestation of uh that dissolving of boundaries um, so there's a uh, There's actually another player which kind of complicates uh, the picture that actually can make it, uh, can kind of be a saving grace, which Jupiter is also um, in that constellation. Jupiter is 90 degrees from Saturn, so it's in that same kind of square configuration to Saturn, and it's in 180 degrees from Neptune. It's in the sign of Virgo. And Jupiter (laughs) is... inclusive that which includes and expands and includes more and more and is very kind of celebratory and inclusive um so we saw it in September when Germany uh you know was welcoming these immigrants these refugees you know celebrations celebrating um kind of the that sense of actually kind of the 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 crisis of the lowering of the borders meeting a kind of happy ending of larger integration, larger, larger inclusivity. Um, so that, that, uh, three planet combination is, um, the, the two just Saturn and Neptune, they'll actually continue through 2016 and actually through most of 2017, but though by 2017, they'll be, their, their strength will be waning. Um, 2016, uh, Jupiter will be there with them through. Um, it'll be pretty tight in that constellation, but from February to to July, um, so that'll be a pretty interesting kind of juxtaposition where you see the tough spiritual challenges mixed with the kind of larger, the all piecing it together into the larger picture the larger kind of um, integration. Um, you know, good uh, just to kind of give a, a, a real grounded perspective on not only what is the Saturn Neptune complex but also what are world transits and versus personal transits um you, you the, if we're talking about world transits we're talking about that we're all that that is just that we're all a part of whether it's hitting us hard personally or not you know we might not be that affected in our personal lives but the backdrop is there for all of us like for instance in your round table the tenor of the conversation that i understood was actually very saturn neptune because even though we weren't there wasn't talk about like the specific uh kind of real spiritual challenges there was kind of a backdrop of an understanding of how to get to a practical spirituality practical being saturn spirituality being neptune and there's that sense of um kind of being rooted on the ground gravity, the feet, these are all Saturnian things as a spiritual practice so you know Saturn is very mundane, it's not like oh let's talk about a spiritual practice that takes
1: whoops well, since we're talking about astrology, it seems that perhaps Mercury retrograde is playing its little tricks on us with our connections here. Uh, so I'm going to see if we can perhaps get James back on the line ever so quickly. Um, I would like to say, in terms of my own personal thought uh, uh, regarding this um Neptune square Saturn. That it strikes me that there is a bit of. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> hey. Hello, welcome back.
6: <laughs> hey, great to be back.
1: I was just I was just going to say that it it strikes me with the Neptune square Saturn aspect that it it seems to be a bit of a push and pull between a heart based or a heart centered approach and perspective to things versus an authoritative strict, um, even power based uh way of of approaching things. Um and I like that Jupiter is is opposite Neptune yeah. because the opposition says we can find a way to meet in the middle. And so it's yeah. uh, if we can expand our heart and the heart being the middle of the chakra system actually, but if we can expand the heart approach then we can find a way to come to some sort of understanding uh, or, or agreement or that kind of thing. But that that um, Saturn aspect comes in, and I, I feel like it's what we see on the political realm. It's these people that are just entrenching you know, their heels and saying, no, we are going to shut out everybody, it's going to be my way or no way, and we see these big egos and, and kind of desperation uh, of holding on to power and exerting power, you know, whether it's here in our political system or Syria or, you know, different places. But it it, it strikes me that it, it says if we can come back to a heart centered approach, which we saw with like Germany yeah. and other places being willing to finally say, you know, let's welcome these people who are other human beings and not see them as others and, and what they're going through. So that was just I was just mentioning that while getting you back on the line. <laughs>
6: yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it's um, it's right. It's it's going to be a very interesting time, particularly February through July, when Jupiter is really there, um, because we're going to see kind of that. Um, uh, you know, the the challenge can be before the integration happens. It can seem like kind of a up and down. Because Saturn's real down, like Saturn's real heavy, right? And Jupiter's real celebratory. Um so it can feel like, you know, watching news at times like this can be like one week of it's like, yay, everything's working out. Next week, boom, everything's crashed, you know? Um but when it gets kind of integrated, it's really beautiful. I mean it's 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 really it's it's fairly rare transit and uh I think it's going to make it a pretty special year in the history books. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, actually, I I can think of one example of um, kind of hearkening to what you were saying about um, what the round table is saying about meditation and the breath that actually um, I was reading about Thich Nhat Hanh, the monk during the Vietnam War, which was actually a Saturn square Neptune time and the kind of. Mid early seventies, um, he ended up with uh, it was a very similar situation with refugees on boats on the waters, and he ended up I can't remember which country it was whether it was Australia or um, Singapore I, I don't I don't remember exactly where it was but um, he had this boat that had like uh, you know like over a 100, just a large amount of refugees, and they got docked, and then the people in the country said, we're we're not going to accept them. We're going to send them back to Vietnam. Um, And he said, if I can make it through this day being mindful of my breathing, being and doing mindful walking, uh, a walking meditation where as you walk, you're aware of your in-breath, your out-breath, I'm just going to focus on one moment at a time. And he did, and he managed to go to places he needed to go, talk to the important people and authority that he needed to talk to, and it worked out. And he was able to find safety for these refugees and and, and kind of asylum for them. So that's that, That's that. you know, when Jupiter comes in, um, I'll have to look back at that to find out where Jupiter was in that particular instance. But in this instance, when Jupiter comes in, there tends to be the success. The Jupiter's kind of the piecing the pieces together into a larger harmony um thinking about what you were saying with power, there's actually another kind of even further backdrop transit which is the Uranus square pluto which um which is which has been with us since two thousand eight two thousand and nine and it's actually beginning to wind it's being in its slow wind down over the next five years next four years um and it's that's it's the energy that revisited us when it started in two thousand uh, eight, nine from the sixties. That was the last time those two were an aspect to each other, and significant aspect to each other, like they are now. And that was real revolution. I mean, I mean, Occupy the Occupy movement, um, the Arab Spring. I mean, you know, major major protests: Brazil, Russia, Turkey all over the world. Um, so that energy is still with us. Um, and uh, it's it's while it's a revolutionary energy, it's also, um, it's kind of a, a release, of, you know, Pluto is the archetype of power and Uranus is the archetype of liberation. So you can have Pluto empowering the liberation instinct, which gives us the revolutionary tendencies. You can have also have Uranus liberating the power of Pluto and that's when you can get the real power dynamics that you had mentioned that are also part of the political arena. Um, you know, a lot of power play. Um, so, so yeah, so that's that's the Pluto-Uranus. Um, and and Pluto is also in Capricorn. That's a very big transit. Capricorn is the archetype of the structures and the authorities, and Pluto is the archetype of the power of transformation you know the power of a forest fire you see like you see a forest fire and it's just like powerful and and it comes through and it transforms the landscape so that new growth can happen and uh capricorn is the arch- is the sign of all the institutions that, and all the authorities that includes the police um the banks the government um and pluto is really you know i mean when these transits begin, they oftentimes show up in their very rough, unrefined forms, their problematic forms. And then we on the ground have to wrestle with them and kind of digest them and do the work to come out with the lesson and the transformation. And, you know, when it came into Capricorn, it really showed a lot of misuse of power by banks, by uh, the authorities, the um, the police force, and uh, so, I really think that that Pluto transit through Capricorn is actually going to give us a kind of—it's going to help us break down old structures that have become too rigid. It's going to help us kind of transform our power structures in a way that is uh, hopeful, to my mind. Um, so, those are those are some some major real background. Those are the, the those are the kind of back background energies that are just kind of pervading. Uh, the area. In terms of dates, um, the Uranus-Pluto is here. It's been here this whole decade. That's a big, that's enough of an outer planet transit that it's it's just kind of around for a decade every time it comes into aspect. So when we hit 2020, that'll be the end of the decade. That'll be the end of that theme of this decade that I've colored this decade. But the Saturn-Neptune and also the Jupiter-Saturn-Neptune, that's very specific to this year, pretty much. Um, and uh, yeah, so the Jupiter-Saturn-Neptune, February through July is the time to really look for the integrating aspects of all the um, kind of, whether it's collective clashes between kind of, it's cl- collective uh, challenges to our spiritual structures. Are we? Do we? You know what? Are we practical enough? Are we? What's what's the connection between reality and spirituality? Can we be there for people? Can we use actually the reality as kind of our spiritual consecration grounds, um, and uh, coming kind of coming into spiritual authority, whether personally inside ourselves or as a culture um, or as a world um actually Jupiter leaves that T square Jupiter moves faster than Saturn or Neptune so it's going to it's going to be out of there by um by the end of the summer by September so that's going to leave us with just Saturn and Neptune when the election comes around the presidential election and uh so something to keep in mind I think is that when you have just Saturn and Neptune, sometimes you can get, Saturn and Neptune also, incidentally, is the fear-mongering that you, I believe you mentioned in the political arena. You know, it's not only keep the borders, keep the, try to keep the borders against this tide of this influx, but it's also this pervasive, you know, Neptune tends to make things pervasive and Jupiter is very judgmental. And I mean, sorry, uh, Saturn is kind of judgmental and, can be judgmental and can represent the fears, judgments. So that's kind of portrayed in Donald Trump's, he's he's almost embodying that, carrying that for the collective, if you will, right now. Um, so when the election comes around, we're not going to have Jupiter there to kind of rescue us. It's going to be kind of the reckoning time. Um, the next, The last time that happened was when Jupiter was uh, when Saturn and Neptune were in opposition in two thousand four when Bush was reflected two thousand five. Um and then there was kind of this general ennui, this general kind of uh cultural blah kind of feeling. Um but the the point here is that um not kind of to have a negative outlook that you know whoever might be elected we might be left with a kind of a uh we might be kind of feeling uh pessimistic about the um the term is that after the election this whole transit winds down and disappears of the Saturn Neptune so it's actually just around that time it's actually it's actually just leading it's most powerful leading up to the election so i feel that in the, in the months leading up to particularly September, we have actually an exact square between Saturn and Neptune and the solar and lunar eclipse at that time. And, uh, so that can be a time when, uh, when we really get a taste for the kind of, you know, the, the, the spiritual challenge of the moment of the day of our era of this time. And, uh, no doubt that'll be reflected in the campaign and how people campaign and how we go into the election, but then the election comes, the inauguration's in January, and by that time the the, the that real heavy hitting period in September will have dissipated um and will continue to dissipate throughout two thousand and seventeen until it's gone uh for you know until the next round so several years from now, almost a decade from
3: now um well, anyway, so anyway... I-
1: and I I find that timing interesting as well because I think that the Saturn Square Neptune aspect is particularly going to affect people um, w- that are well it's going to affect the signs of Gemini Virgo Sagittarius and Pisces exactly not Mutables. not that it won't you know affect other people of course but those may be the the hardest hit if you will but because no doubt it, because Virgo is basically September. Then it yeah. it ties in with that's when it kind of uh, ramps up for its big finale, and then
3: yeah,
1: we to kind of move out of that uh, a little bit. Um, on a uh, you know on kind of a personal level for people, yeah. um, one uh-huh. aspect that I think Saturn Square Neptune is about is uh, the the. The willingness to recognize what it's time to let go of and walk away from and to be willing to do that fully and completely to say I'm going to move away with two feet so I can move towards what is next with two feet rather than trying to straddle and keep one foot or one little finger holding on to something out of fear or complacency or a sense of probably falsely perceived security um, by, right. by thinking if I hold on to this, it's my backup plan. It's my you know uh, safety net. When really it's just the thing that pulls us backwards from being able to fully move forwards. Um, yeah. And so I and I think the Neptune aspect says and let's not deny our emotions. Allow yourself to feel what you need to and to go through what you need to emotionally in that process. But don't let the emotions become the excuse for not moving away for or for not moving away from and for not moving towards what it is that you know might actually be best or right.
6: Yeah, yeah, that's the makings of a beautiful, I think, personal mantra that somebody could use during this time.
1: And I think examining our own sense of am I being too rigid with my own boundaries or rules or structures or am i because to me the neptune aspect is coming in there really challenging us to say can i be more flexible fluid adaptable
6: rather than exactly. rigid? I, I look at it actually as i mean we could even say you know we, we began this talk by making a distinction between world transits and personal transits and we could even say hey why not look at this as a time to actually make the world transits our personal transits, and to see that am I am I am I willing to let down my boundary, and 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 to to the extent that I feel that when I look at the news and I look at the refugee crisis, and it's difficult on both sides, whether you're a refugee or whether you're in a country with like Greece or uh, you know another European country with high unemployment rates, it's already tough times its- been, it's difficult on both sides and are 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 we capable of saying that that's also me? you know that's my personal boundary just doesn't end with this body, this house, this neighborhood this city this uh country you know that actually the collective is also um it's also me it's also us it's also we um in the, so that, in the sense that you know that this is kind of uh, a time to uh, actually reassess what what even are boundaries. What you know what I mean? What what uh you know not the boundaries are healthy, but what 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 boundaries have we instituted in ourselves that whatever we see on television is actually not our lives. It's something else that's happening somewhere else. It's so, yeah, so that's that's my sense is that it can actually kind of, because I just get that sense in general about the, the human kind of movement of consciousness is that we're, you know, consciousness is really everywhere and it's uh, it does appear as if it's in my body, you know, to you it appears as if it's in your body, and but we're all kind of a swim in consciousness and we're all kind of... Uh, you know, if you see something out there and you become aware of it, you know, it's it's kind of it's it's a part of your life, it's a part of you, even if you don't wanna, you know, say it is or whatever. Um so anyway, that's my personal take on one of the aspects that that can kind of be fruitful of this particular transit.
1: And and not to demonize Saturn either, because that Saturn aspect can also come in And say, it's time for you to face reality. It's time for you to grow up and take some responsibility here rather than just complaining, bemoaning your fate, blaming other people versus saying, wait, maybe I need to do something to establish better boundaries for myself. Or maybe I need to see my part in this so I can take some responsibility and actually see I'm part of making the change for this rather than, oh, woe is me and i just sit here and cry about it and then think that it has nothing to do with me other than maybe something will change
6: but not me i don't have to change <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's like uh i think that's fundamental to just every individual's growth and our collective growth as a as a species because and i think that's a great tool that astrology offers is because when you look at your once you start looking at your own personal chart and your own personal transits, you know, particularly when you look at your birth chart, which is kind of, it's like looking, if you were able to hold up a mirror in front of you that was able to show you your mind, you know, kind of able to show you your behavior patterns, that's like what a birth chart is. And then you can say, like, you you know, it it, it brings us towards the healthy kind of understanding that, if I keep meeting the same type of people in my life and I keep getting into the same situations that aren't working for me, you know, what's the common denominator in all those things? Me, you know? And if, if you look in your chart and you're like, oh, there's the sign of a of a habit pattern of some kind of thing, some challenge that I'm not facing because I'm just seeing myself as a victim and these energies are coming again and again into my life as external events, people... Um, and it's kind of like that birth chart gives you a, a legitimation or kind of it gives you the approval to accept the invitation from the universe that actually these people that come into my lives again and again, whatever my behavior patterns are, or these events that keep happening, they have meaning. They do have meaning to me. They, The, the universe is sending me an invitation. You know, if it's somebody keeps picking on me, the universe is sending me an invitation for me to stand up. And to be, to own the warrior energy. You know, that's what these these events that keep coming to me are. They're invitations. Because I'm not embodying those energies inside myself. They're coming from outside. And they're seemingly troubling me, but they're actually inviting me. So that's, that's kind of part of my love for astrology is just how it kind of allows that dynamic. It kind of gives a uh, permission, I guess you could say for that type of understanding realization a little bit more so than the scientific paradigm, which not to demonize the scientific paradigm, but.
1: Um, and I think maybe another big theme of this year and part of this. So the, the numerology for this year, it's a, a nine year and, um, there's a sense of things coming to closure of focusing more on what needs to be completed before starting new things. Um, Nine is also, there's a certain sense of self-sacrifice in it, but it's also a very spiritual and introspective aspect. And I think that part of that says that this isn't necessarily a year for a major emphasis on action-oriented approaches. And this this may tie into what Mars is doing. I think. Um and so maybe you can speak about Mars because I think Mars is retrograde at the moment for the Mars will be of the year or will be. Um and yeah. I think that, that that really speaks to this idea of don't be in such a rush and don't be so aggressive to try to make things happen and, and force things to move forward. Take some time to ease into it and also take time for proper introspection, for taking some time to consider uh things uh and to reign in now when you talk about warrior energy that's very much mars and for me when mars is retrograde it goes from warrior energy which is um outward oriented like attacking something or going after something to guardian energy which is more internal which says what do i need to stand in protection of versus being out doing or making happen so maybe you can just speak a little bit if I'm off base on that, but maybe you can speak a little bit about Mars this year too and how that energy uh, ties in and plays into this.
6: Not off base on that at all. I feel that what you're saying about the numerology, I can I can feel that because, it, I don't know, it just seems to have that feeling that we're, the Uranus-Pluto square is kind of coming to its point of winding down, the Obama administration is coming to a close. We're kind of, I do get a sense um, and maybe who knows? Maybe it's primarily intuitive too that we're coming to a, a bit of a conclusion time to kind of so that new things can sprout. And with Mars, that's really interesting that you bring it up that way. It is it, it'll it'll be retrograde. Um, the actual retrograde, the actual time of it moving backwards, which is actually um, for those of you that aren't familiar with retrograde, it's just a visual appearance from the perspective of Earth that it's moving backwards. If you were to stand outside at night and watch Mars over the over um the retrograde period, it would appear to be going backwards. Um, it's not actually going backwards. It's just because in the race of the planets we've kind of beat it and so it looks like it's going backwards. Um, but it's very significant for us here on the planet as it's reflect you know it reflects very significant events. Going back, or anything does when it goes backwards goes retrograde. Yeah, everybody's heard of Mercury retrograde. This is Mars retrograde. It's much, it's more rare. It happens once every little over two years. Um so it's happening. The actual backward movement is from April to June. Um but there's something called a shadow orb, which means that that includes uh, the whole swath of Of degrees and signs that it went forward and backwards over so it includes the forward action the backward action and then the forward action until it moves out of that swath of degrees that it had reversed over so that uh, shadow orb is from February through August Um, and I like what you said about about um, you know, the, the outward, the forward-moving Mars is kind of a, a let's get these coals done, that warrior energy moving forward, piercing through obstacles. Um, but the backward, the retrograde energy, I hadn't actually thought of it specifically that way, but it's, it's it really makes sense to me how can you... ...active energy, which is definitely also Mars. You know, you want to have your...
1: can Can you say that one more time? You just dropped out there, right? Moment.
6: Um yeah, just that what you said about the the Mars retrograde as being kind of a more internal protective energy. Um that is great. Um because the protective the protector is also Mars. Um you know, the protective warrior, this this the sentinel, the one who who is the guardian, that's also Mars. Um and interestingly enough, It's going to be going through this shadow period right as, um, basically what it does is it's in Scorpio, in the end of Scorpio, and it just begins to move into Sagittarius, which is where Saturn is, and if we recall, you know, Saturn is square to Neptune, and also Jupiter, so it's going to be moving into Sagittarius, and it moves a few degrees, about eight degrees, eight, nine degrees, into Sagittarius, and then it stops, it's what's called stations, it appears to stop, and then it moves backwards, and it backs out of uh, Sagittarius and back into the final degrees of Scorpio. Again, it stations, and again, it'll start moving forward and then forward and forward, and then again, you won't have another Mars retrograde for two years. But during that period, it's interesting that it goes into Sagittarius and it almost it goes into the alignment of the Saturn-Neptune square that we've been talking about but it backs away, so it gives me the sense of, um, kind of a healthy, um, reconsidering, you know, like, uh, you know, with Saturn and Neptune, you can have what we talked about, about kind of fears, you know, oftentimes it's times of, uh, You know, collective fears, Saturn getting kind of pervasive, you know, Neptune dissolving out the Saturn just kind of into the atmosphere, so we feel this general sense of unease and fears, and when Mars gets in that, people can make bad decisions, you know, if you make a decision based on fear, sometimes it's not always the best decision, Um, it can be a good decision, but it can also be damaging, um, because it's Mars, it's the warrior energy, but what it does is it, it it begins to go into that alignment. It begins to go into that square, but then it backs away. Um, so and then it, and then once it's backed away through the full retrograde, again it'll do a second pass and it'll go in. And it, that gives me the sense that when it does that second pass, it'll be a little bit more <coughs> a time for us. That will be a little bit more conscious of our actions, a little bit more conscious of the effects of our actions, a little bit more conscious of the effects of and hopefully, you know, the the collective, the countries, the politicians, everybody will be participating in this kind of sense of being a bit more consciously acting, seeing how, you know, we kind of move forward, maybe jump the gun a little bit, and then we had to go back through that retrograde period, reconsider, reconsider, and then move forward more with more confidence. And that can be on the personal level too. It can be a Mars retrograde is a very powerful thing. And when it, depending on, where it lands in your chart, it can be a time of exactly that where you kind of you you got your warrior energy moving forward into Sagittarius and then there's kind of this sense of, hold on, I need to set the stage more. Preparation has to be done. Let me let me back up. And then when the preparation is right, I'll do my second charge and kind of do it in the right way. Um so I'm looking at that as kind of a hopeful Uh, aspect, hopeful position a movement. And uh, I don't know, I think, I think you've helped me out with that, actually, with seeing it in that way, I see the way you framed it.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think also from what you just said, that sense of not jumping the gun or knowing when to really start to move forward with something or put a lot more energy or push behind uh, moving something forward will really be towards the end of summer, and beyond as Mars begins to move direct again and moves out of that shadow period. Um, you know, so that's just something for people to keep in mind, especially if there were particular projects or goals or that kind of thing, um, to, to maybe think about that kind of timing and to not get too dissuaded if they, are starting something or trying to move something forward in the first part of this year and it feels as if they go two steps forward one step back don't think that it's like going to fail versus that's just part of that energy that's there that says oh wait let's take a step back and see do we need to adjust course is there something we need to wait on that we were rushing without or something like that
6: yeah that's. I mean to keep it on, I mean, to just kind of reel it back to a very mundane personal level, you know, it can be exactly that, and Mars' is, uh, rules a lot of times, uh, athletic projects, even surgeries. Um, so if you're having, and, and you get to, um, you get to the kind of, you get to summertime, or maybe, you know, the end of spring, beginning of summer, and you get frustrated, oh, why was that surgery rescheduled? Why was that? Why? Why did I... Why can't I do this one marathon? Maybe I had a sprain or something. But then you take the time and realize that that happened for a reason, that when it is moving forward and gets to the end of the summer and it's kind of passed through the whole shadow orb, then it all becomes clear. Oh, you know, God timing is always perfect. You know, like, it happened for a reason. Now I'm ready to go forward in a better way. You know, maybe I have the right doctor signed on for whatever is the procedure or the right, or maybe I've healed from the sprain. I can do the wrestling match or whatever it is, you know.
1: So, and it sounds like, especially the the first part of this year is it has its challenges, let us say. But I think mm-hmm. that we can end on a high note for people. We can end on a very hopeful note Because if we look towards the end of the year, then we get Saturn trine Uranus. Um, And so I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about that and how that really shifts the the tenor of the energies and also may have us feeling much more hopeful, optimistic, um, motivated. Uh, as we get towards the end of the year, even as we look back, feeling as if maybe it was a bit of a difficult or challenging year in the first portion of it.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it will, uh, you know, speaking of Mars, I think time to the end of the year, we may feel that like we've ran a marathon um, and we may, uh, um, you know, feel both the looking back and the wow, that I've done and, and, uh, kind of sense of, sense of relief that I, we got through it, but also a sense of accomplishment. Um, and with Saturn going into Trine, uh, Tune, um, kind of a balanced, uh, you know, a balance between future oriented and practical, uh, um, it's, It's actually the time when Saturn's beginning to move out the square to Neptune um, and that it's in a trine to to Uranus is just kind of uh, a balance between, for instance, technology and the practical concerns of life. Uranus is technology and Saturn is the practical concerns of life. Uh, Uranus is the future. Saturn is kind of the past. Um, Uranus is... um, the rebel and Saturn is the kind of practical grounded person. Um so it's kind of a balance to be struck there between those two. And then also I think it's I, I I do think that there's also just something to be said about um what you said about the numerology of the year and the sense of kind of starting a new you know, Uranus is going to be making its move by the end of two thousand sixteen, Uranus will be um just about into Taurus, leaving Aries behind, so that's a change of sign, um, and that's a big shift. Also, uh, Pluto will be past the midpoint of Capricorn, so I think a lot of the difficulties of the Pluto-Capricorn will kind of begin to get integrated, So, um, and plus we're past the midpoint of the decade, really, there's kind of the way the alignments are and the way... Um, the way I perceive it is just a sense of, you know, and the, the way they happen to line up with the decade is just a sense of we've kind of gotten past the midpoint and now it's a little bit more of like a sober, you know, as we move through 2016 and then beyond into 2017, it's a little bit more of like a sober cleanup time. I mean, not necessarily cleanup, more of like a sober uh ref- a grounded let's move forward time because the, the beginnings of this decade really got off to a very explosive start. I mean, really powerful fireworks. You know, it was like, it was kind of a wild child decade. Um, and, uh, but now by the, we get past the midpoint of the decade, we're getting into kind of the child has grown up. The decade has grown up. The decade is maturing. The the, the, You know, we're kind of coming into an ability to digest what we've actually been through um, for the earlier parts of this decade. And again, that's in terms of world transits and in terms of personal transits. You know, the the, the Uranus-Pluto square in the cardinal signs, that's Capricorn, Aries, um, uh, Cancer, and Libra, you know those that that for people with birthdays in those signs, or with their moon in those signs, or their ascendant in those signs. I mean, wow! You know, like it's been a wild decade, a lot of change, a lot of transformation, a lot of. Um, it's really been a transformational time. So, um, I think that moving forward, as those dynamics kind of begin to cool off a little bit, um, we're going to begin to see our new leaders. I think our new young people. That's another Uranus. Saturn trine. Uranus is associated with the younger and Saturn's associated with the older or with the authority. And the trine is a harmonious angle. Um, so I think we're going to see our new generation of young people coming up as, as leaders um, once we get kind of further through 2016 and into 2017 and just you know, kind of towards latter half of this decade. Um, the sense of who's what's the what's the new stage set? What's the new what's what's the new world really? I mean it's 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 really I, I don't know how else to say it, but I think it's gonna be kind of a new world in a way. Are you there? You got me? Copy copy? Are we still on?
1: We are, sorry, I got okay. had muted myself. Um, so I was—I think one of the the nice things about the Saturn-Uranus trine as well is that it, at the end of the year, we will be able to start to see some of the manifestation and fruitions of things that we have been trying to do or working towards. But it will be as a result of patience and discipline. Which ties into right. that, that Mars retrograde of not being in such a rush and not trying to be so aggressive that we jump the gun or push too hard and then it kind of fizzles out. So I think it's a nice way to end the year is seeing some of the things we've been working towards or trying to do starting to really take shape. And we are able to then say, and you had alluded to this before, you know, patience pays off my My willingness right. to have the discipline and to wait this out and to do it according to right timing rather than my timing actually right. ended up being best, and now I'm seeing the the fruits of those labors the rewards of having approached things that way um, right. so. Yeah we're going to to finish on that positive note meaning we have you know yes some challenges to look forward to this year but also an end of the year that really will kind of make it all worthwhile if we're willing to accept the challenges and have a little patience and discipline um and of course if people wanted to understand how these aspects and things really will be playing out in their own lives personally then the mm-hmm. the 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 encouragement would be to get a reading for themselves so that uh the you as the astrologer um would be able yeah. to look at their individual chart and really say okay here's the areas where this is really going to hit you here's how you can really work with this here's how you can take advantage of this etc um yeah. so uh it, for people to do that they can visit your website at mm-hmm. james moran dot co which is james and then M-O-R-A-N dot c o and they can contact you through there. They can also find you on Facebook, I believe, yes?
6: Yeah, Facebook, James Moran, uh artist astrologer, you can type that in and it'll bring bring me up. Um and uh yeah you can also you can email me astrologyjames at gmail dot com. That's fine. Um And uh, yeah, happy to tell personal transits are kind of show how you, how the big picture that we've been talking about fits into your particular personal life and how your particular personal life fits into the big picture, kind of like that.
1: And you offer uh, readings uh, in person as well as via many of the technological ways?
6: Yeah, yeah. right now I'm on the East Coast. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, I'm happy to meet in person. Uh, if it's not possible, I've, I do lots of readings over Skype. I probably do the majority of my readings over Skype or even over phone. Um, Skype's a little preferable, but phone is also possible. Um, so, yeah, any anyone, anywhere in the world. I've given readings to people in all different continents, so it's 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 all possible
1: and what people need to know if they're going to do that, what they need to bring to you is their birth date, place, and time of birth. Is there any additional information they need to have prepared ahead of time?
6: Just if they want to ask any particular questions, um, that's really it. Uh, And even if they don't have their time, it's still possible to do the reading. It's not going to be as uh, kind of... uh, information-packed as if they do have their time, but there'll still be plenty of meat there. Um, but, e- yeah, either way, it's, it's still worth it, in my opinion.
1: All right. And, again, the website, jamesmoran.co, or you can email him. Uh, is it james at
6: gmail.com? Astro- yeah, james at gmail.com. That's a good
1: one. Astrologyjames. All right. Well, James Moran, thank you very much for taking time to be here and and share this outlook for twenty sixteen so that just as if we needed to know whether to take an umbrella or not for the day, we can be better prepared to know how to move through twenty sixteen more successfully.
6: Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um Thank you. So, thank you so much, I see. Yes, thank you
1: and stay tuned and coming up next we actually have a little special segment um with uh normandy ellis and indigo Ronlov. normandy ellis is an artist uh, sorry is a a writer a teacher uh, and a spiritualist and indigo Ronlov is an eco-psychologist an artist and a ceremonialist they're going to be talking about um egypt and their travels there as well as your opportunity to join them in april for what could be a life-changing voyage, their their trip is called Astral Egypt, uh, and it's uh, going to be taking place in April, and you'll be able to hear a bit about that, as well as the magic and wonder of Egypt and what it holds and what it has to offer uh Each person that comes there. And we also have our segment for where you have a chance to receive a reading live on the air. Uh, If you'd like to get into the queue for that, you can connect in from the show page. Or you can call 646-716-5510. So sit back, relax, enjoy. And we will be right back with our trip down the Nile into Egypt.
0: with host Hi-C Lutmers. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with hi
1: Welcome back. Thank you for uh, listening, and I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. We're joined for a special segment this month by author, teacher, and spiritualist, Normandy Ellis, and also by ecopsychologist, artist, and ceremonialist, Indigo Ronlaw. And I know that both of you have recently returned from trips to Egypt and are planning a trip together to Egypt in April. And Amidst all of the things that are happening politically, etc., many people are nervous or scared to make that kind of a trip to those areas of the world. I'm wondering if you could share with us what it is that allows you to move beyond all of that fear and continue to want to visit Egypt over and over again.
7: Okay, this is Normandy, and um, I just want to say that the, it's Egypt herself that keeps bringing me back when I'm in my uh, bed and and I wake up in the morning and I'm remembering the most beautiful times of my life, I'm always drawn to the moments when I wake up on the boat in Egypt, when I'm looking at the egrets sailing on the Nile with the sun in their backs and the father and their son in the skiffs, you know, throwing the, the nets into the water to catch fish and, um, the water buffalo coming down to the river to drink, and just the way Egypt herself is a representation of the divine body of the gods and goddesses within the natural world itself. Uh, that's where the netters lived. So, going into the temples and seeing, you know, crocodile headed gods and cat headed goddesses. Uh, you really understand that when that cat comes down and greets you at the edge of the pier when you go to the temple of Isis that it's almost Bast herself that's coming down. Um, The soul of Isis, the Baast that's coming to meet you and take you into her temple. It's really quite lovely and that's what brings me back over and over again.
1: And indigo, is there something in particular that attracts you or connects you to Egypt that continues to bring you back there?
8: Well, all of that, absolutely, that Normandy just so eloquently expressed. And um, there's something there about the fact that these people have been living on this river valley for eons and that they have been... Existing in such a way where the water buffalo come to the edge and the father and son go and fish, it, that they've been able to, to perpetuate it again over eons. And, and as I look at the planet right now and it looks at the industrialized consumer society that is throwing away such epic proportions of waste that ends up in the ocean, that ends up in the landscape, that ends up leaching toxins into our food supply and our water supply. I I think about, well, how have they been doing it for so long? And there's so much to learn about that and so much for them to remember as well, you know, because we're all being lulled by this full of, of um, the the kind of more material side of things. So, so I think that there's a... a study there or an inquiry there for me about how can I learn from that and how can I then bring that back to the Pacific Northwest where I live um, and help me continue to live in a good way and help us remember how to live on the earth in a good way and then just to have the communion with the Netteru and to learn about how they are so actively alive as aspects of who I am and who you are and who we all are that um, they keep drawing me back and they keep leading me deeper and deeper into their mysteries so um, every time i go it's as if another layer has has opened to me and uh, and so now i'm i'm very intrigued about what the next layer will be with norman the eye coming up in in april
1: and and i just want to let people know who are listening um, when you use the words Neturu or Neturu, that's the Egyptian word that means gods and goddesses um, in Egyptian, in Egypt.
8: Right. And it also is the root of nature, right? It's nature. And when we look at the gods and goddesses of Egypt, they are representations of human nature unions. And and as necopsychologists, that also really draws my my interest. And I want to understand how we can Um, better have have better communion with with the natural world because we are it
1: (laughs) and that was something I wanted to ask about was um, aside from just the historical aspect like going to Egypt and seeing old buildings and that kind of thing what is it that you think that the, the ancient Egyptian aspect of things continues to um, reverberate, resonate, and have to offer us today that we can tap into and put into practice today rather than just seeing it as what was done back then.
7: when you say that, the thought that comes to me is that um, that ancient Egypt was a culture, a civilization that lived uh, not an individual did not live for his or herself they lived for the good of the community. I think that that was one of the early lessons that ISIS and Osiris taught, was that the the building of the cities and the temples and uh, the towns and the raising of the children, you know, it wasn't just Hillary Clinton who said it takes a village to raise a child, it started with ISIS. And I think that 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 is very strongly part of a culture that we are forgetting these days when we push ourselves and push our children to uh, get to the head of the line, you know, and um, it's kind of, it's very insidious that get to the head of the line thing that happens, you know, when I'm in Egypt, I see, I watch traffic patterns when I'm in Egypt, and it's a little crazy, but they they uh, <laughs> maneuver by beeps, you know, and um, expressions, and, and you can watch it, you know, a, a person crossing the street by simply throwing a line out from their finger, and every car that watches that woman doesn't hit her. They know where she's walking. It's kind of an amazing thing. Um I would say, not always like it was in the ancient time, but that idea that we're building something communally is what we as spiritual beings need to step up to the plate and recall again, to remember in a very Osirian way. Well, and and along those lines, to be able to remember... And then
8: to be able to make choices in the present moment that help direct our future because every single one of us on this planet, not only the human beings, but every creature, every life form on this planet is co-creating the future of what this planet is going to become. And if we as humans can wake up and become more conscious. ...conscious of our choices in any given moment, then where we're leading ourselves into our future and into our great-great-great-grandchildren's future is something of health and beauty rather than war and terror, right? And, and so if we can bring people through an experience in Egypt where they arrive into themselves in such a way that they can begin to make choices out of the good of the community right living for the good of the community and recognizing that that also is their own good that um maybe we won't have so much waste maybe we won't need so much distraction and entertainment to keep us occupied because we're all working for the good of the community granted i'm i'm speaking in maybe idealistic terms but why not you know why not
1: i think there's a place for idealism because it gives us something to strive for um and i think that what I hear both of you saying really applies to that Egyptian idea of ma'at and that it wasn't just about individuals living according to ma'at so that they would be on an individual basis happier or more successful or whatever. It also was, I live in ma'at as a way of helping to maintain ma'at on the more universal level. So there was that complete sense of I'm part of something bigger and my part in being in ma'at is also helping to maintain that for the larger good. So if we take waste, for example, it says I see my recycling not just because it benefits me, but also it benefits everyone as well as generations down the road. And so that helps to maintain that larger concept. And sometimes I think we've lost a little bit of that awe or that that sense of something bigger, Um, because we, we, you know, especially in America, we're so much about individuality and um, those kind of things that it almost has gotten lost, that sense of you don't lose your individuality just because you're part of something bigger, and the bigger sometimes is more important than the individual.
7: I think you're right. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that the idea of ma'at not only being individual consciousness, but the group consciousness, the group, um, high, the higher mind in which we are all participating as individual cells of a God source. I think that 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 is natural law, and that that's what we need to move, need to think about and move more toward. I love that image of. The Pharaoh Seti with the little goddess Ma'at in his hand. It's at Abydos. And he's offering this little goddess back to the big goddess seated on her throne, Ma'at. And the inscription above it says, This is the order of the world that you gave to me uh, when I became Pharaoh. And at my death, I hand it back to you, having changed it not one whit. You know, and so it's like preserving the natural order of the divine world is a group consciousness. It's not just something that SETI was doing, that we're all doing.
1: And I also liked that you, uh, Normandy, had said that this, you know, is something that's very Osirian in nature. Um, And I often will kind of pay attention a lot of times to things that they are uncovering um, or discovering. Uh, And, you know, recently in the past year, there's been this huge discovery and it's in hopefully I say this correctly um, Sheikh Abd el-Kuma uh, or El-Kurna I'm sorry, um, which is on the west bank of Thebes and it's the, the tomb of Osiris uh, and for me the fact that they have been able to uncover that and now see the fullness of the complex and the multiple layers that are there underground and um, that kind of thing it points to perhaps this renewal that is taking place that Osiris would have been about. And I'm wondering if there has been a difference in how you have experienced or felt from when you first started going to Egypt to your most recent trips, or if in the most recent trips there has been some sort of conscious uh, awareness of a focus or a theme of renewal starting to come to the forefront, um that you might have perceived in some way?
8: Well that's that's a really um complicated question. <laughs> the there you know, just like Egypt itself it has so many layers to it and this is a, a land that again has been moving along that river for eons and currently they've had a lot of transition and change and turmoil with changes in government and changes in um, the the borders around Egypt and the people's ability to unify and march out on the streets when they perceived their um, government not to be serving their needs anymore. There's, There's a lot that's happened in the last few years um and some of it is tragic and some of it is amazing and beautiful and mostly what i see there is the human spirit striving to create life for themselves and for their their children you know that's what most of us are doing is striving to to create our, our lives so i i'll share one story i went i went after the tour this last time the tour had ended and a friend in Cairo invited me to a concert. So I went to this uh, lovely outdoor amphitheater in the middle of old Cairo at this um, outdoor park that actually used to be a dump, and it got transformed into this beautiful park. And um, it was all Egyptians there. I was probably the only non-Egyptian. And it was just amazing music of, like, Nubian, funk, fusion african rhythm song It was amazing and afterwards i'm talking with the the person who had invited me and we started he brought up meditation and in egypt you know meditation is kind of a a forbidden thing it's it's funny it's funny anyway and and he's like you know i think i'm starting to get meditation and i'm like yeah you know when we meditate when we are able to find that peace within ourselves we are able to have the ability to make better choices in our world. And and so it opened up this whole conversation about the possibility of seeing how we can teach some of the youth of, of Egypt, not really to meditate in a traditional way, but to find that place of quiet and that place of peace. And so what that told me is that there's this incredible spirit that's alive and eager to learn and grow and um, and it's amazing it's, it's truly phenomenal and sometimes when things are at their hardest and when revolutions happen and whole societies shift to accommodate what's happening um, that's when the seeds that have been planted begin to have the ability to sprout and I see a lot of um, a lot of things happening in Egypt and in Cairo that um, are amazing and progressive and and quite beautiful and there's challenge too, those are true.
7: I like that Indigo took your question in that way. Um, and I think that I'm also uh, moved to say that there's so much underneath the ground in Egypt still, yet to be discovered. There are so many mysteries that are still unfolding. You know, the idea that uh, the tomb of Osiris could have been found, the idea that perhaps behind Tutankhamen's uh, chamber there's a, a tomb to Nefertiti um, perhaps that there are you know they have found the queen uh, mother of um, oh, one of the fifth dynasty pharaohs uh, way back in the old kingdom and so this beautiful woman's grave with all of these grave goods and earliest Uh, known hieroglyphs that were much earlier than we had suspected. I think that all of that, uh, the technology that we have, which allows us to find these things, for one thing, quite astounds me, Um, and that there is more and more to be learned. There are more mysteries there, and every time we unfold one of them, I keep finding myself going back to a really simple question, which is given the technology that they had at that time how did they do that you know i'm still constantly amazed that at the things that they were able to do the uh brain surgeries that they were able to do back in the fourth dynasty Uh, it's quite amazing you know and um I find it very uh, exciting to think that the human spirit, if there is anything that needs to be accomplished, it will find a way to do it.
1: <laughs> well, then I'm always amazed in the same way and asking that question, you know, and often it's like, how did they, you know, like, dig so deep and create such elaborate structures and elaborate networks of of um, buildings and things underground, you know, mm-hmm. with the the technology and the tools that they had at the time because even today we would find it challenging to do some of that I think and, and for me like the Osiris tomb for example or, or the King Tut's tomb that you also brought up it had been found previously like in the early 20th century and that kind of thing but now they have discovered these, these hidden layers these deeper layers and to me it feels as if there's a sort of next level next initiation of mystery or awareness that's being brought forth for us that maybe says we're now ready or we now need (laughs) this, Um, and which I think is going to tie in nicely to the book, the new book that you and uh, Normandy and Nikki Scully have out, which we'll come back to in a second. Um, When you go on your trips, I think a lot of times you have kind of a, a theme um, or a particular focus or something that you do with the trips, um, I'm wondering if you could maybe just say what that was for each of your trips that most recently and then maybe start giving us some details about your trip coming up in april uh, the the basic you know dates et cetera, but also what's the if there is a primary focus or theme or type of work that you're going to be doing on that trip
7: um the most recent trip that I did was at the end of November, I left right after Thanksgiving, and came back just before Christmas, Um, and I was working with Deborah Jones and her Nine Gates Mystery School, uh, which is located mostly in California, but it's been up and running for over a decade, and um, I had worked with her and some of her people before, so it wasn't a group that I was unfamiliar with. But not all of them had been to Egypt before, and so we traveled. um, We traveled. We first started at the Sphinx, and then went straight. uh, Went to Saqqara, and then went straight to Aswan, and then sailed down the Nile. And each time we went, we were we were moving uh, up through the chakras. Where if the delta were the head of an individual and the crown. We were moving up through the chakras, you know, starting at um, the Temple of Isis uh, and Philae in Aswan. And then, you know, each sacred center was... There was a tomb uh, or a temple dedicated to that. And um, we found that that was... um, We didn't intend to do it that way, but as we progressed, we found that that was a very natural way of bringing the mysteries in. It was not something that I had ever done before in that particular way, but um, I would probably, I could see myself doing another trip like that again and um, talking about the Nile and embodying the sacred nine spiritual bodies and the chakra centers. So that was the most recent trip that I did. Well, and my trip just before that was with uh, co- my
8: co-leader, Sandy Corcoran, and it was called Cauldron of Possibilities, uh, Shamanic um, Egypt. And we worked with the group in a very fluid way where we tried not to have too many upfront ideas of what the alchemy we were going to move through was. And I mean, we had some ideas, but we we consciously didn't want to form it until we knew who our group was, and it was it was quite lovely. And that, in fact, is what we often do to a certain degree. We have a, a idea of what we're going to do, but then we we meet the participants, and and we become a co-creative group who's moving through these mysteries as you know Normandy and I or Normandy or I um, are guiding you. So uh, with Sandy we really had this beautiful ability to to create our container um, both I- within this, this container of our body our vessel and to bring ourselves into wholeness um, reconciling those aspects that were in opposition and um, and learning about each god and goddess who would show up for any given one of the participants on the trip and then they would learn more about who that was and how they could work with with that deity. Um, And we also, we worked a lot with the Anubis Oracle, um, which is a a card deck that Nikki Scully and Linda Starwolf, um, we worked a lot with that deck. And then another deck, which is a a soft crawly deck, which is one that Sandy works with. So um, it was, it was a beautiful voyage. It was smooth and and easy. And we would move in and out of sacred space, depending on what we were doing and, and what, Possibilities were manifesting around us. It was quite lovely. Um, oh, and we had an a evening where we went to a concert at the foot of the Sphinx with Yanni. And uh, <laughs> while we were there watching this concert and with the face of the Sphinx transforming before our very eyes as uh, the concert went on, at the very end of the night, the Sphinx's eyes were closed and it was smiling. It was amazing. And we had a download from... Um, the The fellow who runs the US, the space station that's orbiting our planet and he showed us what we look like in his eyes and that he sees no borders and, and it was a lovely message. Anyway, that was another piece of our trip. So
1: when is your trip coming up in April that you're doing together?
7: It's April the 21st and um, we go until May the 5th
1: and you're going to be co-leading that together. Right. Um, right. And is there any particular emphasis or focus that you are thinking about for this trip?
7: Yeah, we we are calling it Astral Egypt. And the reason we are doing that is that we are both very much interested in, in working with symbology uh, in whatever way that that presents itself during the process of the trip. Um, I've been... Uh, working with teaching classes in hieroglyphic thinking and and uh, oracle using hieroglyphs as oracles with a medunetor class, and it's just a way of learning, um, a way for me to explore in more depth how a symbol lands and how it's multiple levels of meaning. Are infusing everything that's written on the temples, and so I think we wanted to play with some of that. And um, the other thing I have to say is that Indigo uh, is a stone worker. One of the trips I went on, she she would get these pieces of stone and start carving them and make these gorgeous statues while she was there. So she her way of doing things is also with her hands, and um, I'm really looking forward to. Getting involved in some more of that
8: and you know i I would like to to see us take that hieroglyphic thinking and use it you know in the more divinatory way. We can work with cards, make our own kind of hieroglyphic cards, which is something Normandy taught me um, last November. It was a fabulous uh, um activity. I learned a lot about the hieroglyphs and how how to read them and understand them in a different way. But then also to like draw a hieroglyph in the morning and go look for it on the temple walls and to see how it sits in relation and then how it sits in relation to ourselves and and how it resonates um, for ourselves. Like on this last trip, for me, it was the, the symbol of the bee you know, a, a honeybee. And everywhere I went, they were just popping out of the temple walls. It was amazing. And it, it, I'd been there many times and it hadn't been that way. So, so using that attention to what draws us and then to learn deeper meanings of what that symbol is and um, to write through poetry, through journaling, through narrative, um, and, and to sketch the symbols that are coming in and you know, maybe even a little carving, we'll see um, it's quite an undertaking to, to carve a stone um, so yeah I, I really, I'm looking forward to being able to really seep in to sink into understanding what is on the walls that Normandy is so gifted at, at translating so yeah, it's going to be fabulous
1: so the dates of the trip are April 21st through May 5th. Right.
3: Um,
1: can you give some of the logistical details of where they can find more information uh, and how they would need to plan for that and, and
4: that kind of thing? Right.
8: Well, it's coming up. It's getting, it's soon. We have a few spots left, um, not too many. And they, if you out there in the world listening to this are interested in joining Normandy and I, I would check out the website shamanicjourneys.com and there's a link on that website that goes to a page for our trip um, you can also request information that way or you can request it directly to me um, indigo at shamanicjourneys.com um, and we'll send you some information and we'll send you the price and the itinerary and all, all the particulars of, of what you would need to, to join us at this point in the game and um, and, you know, any any questions, there's a phone number on the website uh, that you can call the office and, and ask us anything you want about this trip.
1: Since you've both been there recently, can you just make a mention of a lot of people having trepidation and fear based on what's going on both in Egypt as well as in that part of the world and whether it's safe to travel there, um, you know, why they should be willing to travel there rather than to be afraid of going there?
7: Well, I'll just say that um, this was very ironic to me. We, because of the fear that so many people had around going to Egypt, uh, our trip was full, but the temples were relatively empty, which meant that under normal circumstances when there are other travelers there, you kind of have to jockey for a spot to be able to see the wall that you want to see and do what you want to do. And it was, that was not the case. The temples were ours for the taking. You know, we were there uh, with very generous amounts of time, uh, completely protected. We always have a security guard coming with us. Um, everything was relatively quiet and beautiful. The people were humble and grateful for our presence there. It could happen anything, anywhere, and yet uh, if we live in fear, we're not going to get anywhere in terms of a planet. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And when people are afraid of each other, that's the worst thing that we can do as a planet and as lightworkers. But on our tour,
8: we are so careful about the places we go and and being mindful of of letting you know the authorities know when we're traveling and and this kind of thing. And the um, you know, I, I always look up at our embassy information and see if there's any travel precautions. And where we go, there's not any travel precautions. Um, so it's it's worth it. And the people are so grateful when we come because it was. Tourism was one of the biggest industries that they had, and many, 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 many people were dependent upon that industry. Um, With less tourists coming in, uh, that industry has taken a really big hit, and it's uh, rippled down to the people on the street and the people in the market and, you know, the people who are supporting, you know, as tourists coming and experiencing their amazing land. So by us coming and bringing tours and filling up our tours, we're benefiting the people. We're making good relations with another part of the world. We're learning about ourselves. Um, we're learning about each other, and it, it, it's quite remarkable. I would encourage anybody who's interested to reach out and get some more information.
7: That Christopher Fry uh, poem that goes something like, um, how the the thing that we do... The things that face us are soul sized you know we're not this is not some little story about how we hide from our fear um it's really about how we gather up the greatest courage that we have and go forward uh, and I think that that's really an important thing for us to do now, yeah
1: and sometimes stepping into that fear can be. Uh, like going through an initiation when we're like, I don't know if I'm ready for that next level, for that next mystery. Um, And I (laughs) wanted to use that to ask you, Normandy, about your new book that's just come out with um, Nikki Scully called The Union of Isis and Thoth. And the subtitle is Magic and Initiatory Practices of Ancient Egypt. Um, And so I wonder if you could just Speak a little bit about that, uh, what that book is about, uh, and even maybe why, if somebody was thinking of going on the trip with you, how it might be a good preparatory type of book to read or to work through as preparation for being in Egypt and experiencing it in a different way.
7: Okay. Um, that book was, was really the culmination of about 20 years of Mystery Schools that Nikki and I were doing, and I remember... Meeting you, High C, at one of those mystery schools and um, feeling really overwhelmed with the way in which you were able to carry the temple within yourself. And that really is what the book is about. It's about how the human body is a receptacle for the divine monad and how we nurture it, how we grow through it, how we come to understand ourselves as part of the divine body itself not everybody will be able to go to Egypt but everybody is able to carry the divine within and um it's made richer when you're standing inside the sacred sanctuary at a particular temple that is dedicated to a divine being that you have an affinity for but it equally can be done um with your own attention and intention. And really the book is about building attention and intention um, and using ceremonial magic uh, as part of that transformative process. And there are amazing things that once you have a relationship to that inner temple, um, I mean, there are so many things. That, that you do in terms of soul retrieval and um, you know you were talking about that fear process and there's a phoenix process in which one dies to the old self and is reborn and that's definitely a part of the mystery school tradition in ancient Egypt um, and that's one of the things that is like a culminating event in that book is working through the process of moving out of our old self and into our new self Um, and being able to step in and out of realities sort of like the ayahuasca story where you can go backward and forward into time and um, manipulate events so that you can see how things unfolded and come to some understanding of that for a future purpose
1: and I believe you have a, a virtual launch Party coming up?
7: Oh, we do, Um, and that's going to be January the 28th, and it's 7:30 Eastern time, and it'll be like two hours, and it's 4:30 Pacific time. And Nikki and I will be online the whole time. Uh, You can ask us questions. We'll talk. We're going to do um, a few readings from the hymns at the back of the book and then there'll be a giveaway of the hymns that were written as part of that book. So for everybody who comes online and joins us for the virtual party, um, welcome and we'll give you a free, free gift of a hymn.
1: And is there also information about that on the Shamanic Journeys website?
7: There's information about that on the Shamanic Journeys website and um, you can look for it on the Facebook Shamanic Journeys website as well or if you look up me uh, and under my events on Facebook you'll find information about that
1: alright so and uh, so your website is Normandy Ellis which is N-O-R-M-A-N-D-I E-L-L-I-S dot com um, or Shamanic Journeys dot com which also has information about the trip coming up in April to Egypt uh, and so we would encourage everyone to look at that information and certainly think about attending the virtual book launch because you can do that from anywhere uh, as long as you have an internet connection (laughs) Uh, and especially if you felt drawn or have always resonated with Egypt in some way to look into one of these trips and really consider being a part of those. Because they can be, and I'm sure you can attest seeing all the people that you've seen take these as well as for yourselves, they can be quite transformational um, in terms of what somebody comes in as and how they come back as well as what they go in thinking it's going to be and what actually happens and how they come back from it. Right. Besides Normandy's book, uh, Indigo, you also have the uh, is it Zahara or
8: Zahra? It's Zahra, and it's Zahra Handworks Foundation. We just
3: okay.
8: slid Handworks into the name to kind of help um, distinguish it from some of the other Zahra kind of things in the world. But yes, we are a uh, 501c3 organization here in the U.S., and I go to Egypt and work with different organizations and schools as well as individuals teaching them how to work with their hands or um, showing them some interesting techniques for cutting plastic bags, for example, to become plarn that could then be crocheted into products of use and value rather than uh, a bag tumbling through the desert. And um, it's pretty amazing. We have a website, ZahraHandWorks.org, and Zahra is Z-A-H-R-A. Um, And we have a big project coming up, hopefully, this year. We're in the works with it. And we have got an agreement uh, with some individuals in Bahareya Oasis, which is about five hours southwest of Cairo, to build a center for the women there to do their work. Um, For the last couple of years, I've been working with these women, teaching them and and helping them understand systems and qualities and business and all of this. And now we're at a point where they... Um, having a gathering place that is not one of their living rooms uh, will be of great benefit to them and taking them to the next step in their little co-op, basically, is what it's becoming. Um, And so we're going to do some fundraising this year and do what we can to help them build this center in the fall. And um, it's pretty amazing. So check out the website and you can see some of what we're doing. Um, We have some photos still to get up there from our last, big uh, Zahra project um, but you know volunteer organization we only move so fast and uh, um, it's, it's amazing though the last little piece I'd say about it is is that by working not only through the tour company Shamanic Journeys and doing these um, um, Egyptian mysteries tours with people from outside of Egypt has has done amazing things to me personally and just helped me see in the world in a whole new way. But then to sit with these traditional women in Bahareya or sit with these children who had been previously on the streets of Cairo and are now housed in the center of Benedi, um, or to work with the Zabalin people who collect and recycle a great deal of Cairo's trash, I've I've just been humbled and floored and and learned so much about the people of Egypt that is something quite beyond what we see when when we are traveling on these tours, but um, has brought me greater understanding of of how to move and be as we go along the river on our tours. So anyway, that's that's it. ZahaHandworks.org. dot org. Thank you.
1: Excellent. Thank you for sharing about that. So my. Thanks to both of you for taking some time to join me here today, Uh, and I will, one, look forward to the book launch on January 28th, and two, we will look forward perhaps to hearing a report back after the trip from you and maybe from some people listening who decide to join the trip about what the experience was like for this one and what comes out of it in the processes that you go through during that trip. So thank you very much for joining me here today.
7: Thank you, Heisty, for
8: having us on. It's been a pleasure to, to be with you again.
1: And again, you can find out more about Normandy Ellis at normandyellis.com, dot com n o r m a n d i e l l i s dot com, and you can find out more about Indigo and her foundation at zara z a h r a handworks dot find out about Indigo's personal work and services that she offers, you can go um, to sacredwitness.us uh, for that. So thank you very much to both of you. And coming up next is your chance to receive a reading during the show live on the air. If you'd like to get into the queue, you can connect in from the show page, or you can call 646-716-5510. And we will be right back with Revolution with HiC.
5: Show your faith, don't hide it And I know you're scared to spread your wings come back home again You can come back home again You can come back home again You can come back home
0: You're listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at Facebook.com right slash Revolution it. with Icy. where you
5: lay, the time is now so t- is strong, can't break it, I'll be waiting here for you, yeah, so you can come back home again, you can come back home See you.
1: And welcome back. Thank you to both James Moran earlier in the show uh, for his astrology outlook for the year, as well as to Normandy Ellis and Indigo Ronlov for their insights regarding Egypt and sharing with us an opportunity for all of us to join one of their very Spiritually based and often very transformative uh, voyages in Egypt coming up in April. We've now reached the point where you have a chance to receive a reading uh, live on the air during the show. And so let us go first to area code 804. Are you there area code 804? Hello, area code 804. Yes, yes oh. I am. Well, and there you are. <laughs> um, welcome to the show. What's your name and where are you calling from?
9: Um, I'm calling from Virginia.
1: Virginia? All right. And what is it that you'd like for us to look at in a reading for you today? Um
9: I mm, I don't know. I just well, right now um working part-time, I'm wondering um as far as employment. I don't know. full time employment. I don't know. Anything, whatever you
4: feel like, I don't know. Um,
1: and actively looking for something more full-time?
5: Yeah, I am.
1: Okay. Um, well, the cards that are coming up are actually very... Um, supportive in being able to find something. And um, the first card that came up actually is the Fool card. And that says that if you're willing to take a bit of a chance or a bit of a risk and just go for something, then you're very, very likely to get it because that's followed by the Four of Pentacles. And Four of Pentacles is a card of coming into especially material, financial, job, etc., those kind of things, coming into those areas and creating a more stable, secure, um, longer-lasting kind of uh, situation. So it seems as if there is something that is very uh, either readily available or is now very available in the sense of if you just – Look and are willing to go for it. Even if you thought, well, that would I would like to do that, but I don't know if I'm really ready for that, or I don't know if I have the experience for that. There's a sense that if you just go for it and you have that kind of, it's almost like a childlike enthusiasm with the fool card. That that's what well, will appeal to who you're um, uh, applying to, and. They they may look at that and say, we really like your energy, we really like your enthusiasm, we really like uh, your your drive, and therefore, even though you don't necessarily have all of the experience, they still would rather have somebody like you come in and that they can kind of groom or teach uh, into the role, rather than someone who has the experience but isn't really the kind of personality or, or energy that they might like in the, the setting itself. Um and, uh, you know, the the Ten of Water, the Ten of Cups is here, and it says to be cautious about over-expecting, so don't go in thinking something's going to be perfect, um, but recognize it as this is an opportunity, and it can create a foundation for me to have the next step, the next opportunity, um, uh, be able to help elevate you and move you forward in the development of your career, your work life. Um Ace of Pentacles comes up in the short term, which is the next one to three months, which says, what's the next step or what's coming next or what's the next course of action? And when it's Ace of Pentacles, it says, first of all, it's about the doing. Uh, Ace of Pentacles is about new job, new environment, new sources of income. So it says we're able to really manifest that. We're really able to make that happen in the next couple of months. So recognize Things that you've been wanting to go after, but have perhaps felt a little hesitant about. uh, And put with uh, Pentacles, it's also about effort. So we have to be willing to put the effort in, like go after it, apply, reach out, connect, do the actions necessary rather than waiting for it to come to us. But if you do that, especially in the next couple of months, then it's really going to pay off for you. Um, Because the two of wands comes up and says that doing this now is going to then open up future possibilities for you. And whether it means growth in the job that you would go into or it means that the experience and the connections or whatever happens in the next thing will actually then lead to other opportunities uh, as well. So you're in a very well positioned time point for going after the kind of job or the kind of work you would like and being able to get it. Don't go into it. We don't have to find the perfect job every time, but we can find something that says this is going to help me to um, progress or to grow or give me new experience that is then going to help me to be able to continue to find better and better employment in the future.
9: All right, thank you.
1: You're welcome. So h- hopefully you can make that kind of your New Year's resolution <laughs>
3: uh,
1: no. to 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 say, okay, in the next couple of months, I'm going to make sure that I take action, especially on the things that I feel a little um, fearful or hesitant about, or feel a bit like a gamble or a risk. And I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to take the chance, and I'm just going to take the leap of faith, and I'm going to go there. Okay. All right. All
3: Any right, questions? Thank
1: you. Any? Any questions about that?
9: No, no, no. Like you say, take a leap of faith.
1: Yes, but the fact that all these Pentacles cards came up says exactly what you asked about regarding uh, more permanent or full-time kind of work and that kind of thing is exactly what you should be going after right now and is exactly what is waiting for you to take action on because you do so and it will then happen um, within a couple of months relatively quickly. Okay. All right? All right. Well, thank you for uh, calling in.
9: You're welcome.
1: Enjoy the rest of the day.
5: Thank you. You too.
1: All right. Goodbye. And then next, we're going to go to area code 530. Are you there, area code 530? Yep. All right. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from?
9: My name's Donna, and I live in West of California.
1: All right. And what is it that we could look at for you in a reading today?
9: Well, for once, I want to tell you something that I get to tell you before my older daughter tells you. And she's taking her younger sister to New York in, for her 16th birthday in June, which I think is just dynamite as far as uh, travel and exposure and the world, and it's great. And myself, as far as reading... Um, Finances, I guess, more than anything, uh, just in general, what you see for this upcoming period of time?
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, your daughter is going to be having the opportunity to do a bit of traveling and um, new experiences. (laughs) And regarding finances, well... The cards are being very nice today, I must say. (laughs) Um, So, you know, so one thing I will say, and I don't know if the previous caller is also still listening. um, From an astrological standpoint, the the moon is in Capricorn and then in Aquarius today. But today is a, a really good time. It's not a surprise that these questions are coming up. And it was also a really good day for the astrology outlook because Right now is the perfect time to be focused on long-term goals, long-term plans. So really think about where do I want to be by the end of the year or what are my long-term goals or how do I come up with a um, bigger picture plan for, Mm -hmm. in this case, your finances. So it's not just about how am I going to make enough money to pay uh, rent by the end of the month? It's about saying, right. okay, yes, I realize I need to do that. But what's the bigger plan and how do I start putting that into place? What are the steps I need to start thinking about? And how do I start structuring, organizing, and disciplining myself in my life in order to uh, support and allow that to actually happen? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, we kick off with the Six of Wands. And Six of Wands is a card of success and victory, but it also is a card that says, as long as I'm leading the charge, and it represents the idea of being recognized by outside people. So one, it's encouraging you to step into the spotlight. Put yourself out there. Uh, Don't be afraid to take on something uh, as in kind of a leadership position. Um, You know, if, if that just means uh, going out and, and looking for a job or going out and um, connecting to find out about how to uh, inc- improve your financial situation. That's like if I need to go apply for a loan. The Six of Wands says if you lead the charge and stop waiting for it to come to us, then we can go out and be very successful at doing this. Um, okay. And people will see your effort And that's what they will respond to. And that's how things will start to um, we will find people saying yes or, you know, that kind of thing. So really be able to show how you have been making effort towards the goals that you're wanting. Like, let's say if somebody was going in to apply for a loan, don't just go in and ask for a loan and then have nothing to show for how you've been trying to, say, save money or whatever in order to also do that so that the loan is now going to help in addition to what you've been doing versus you're looking at the bank and the loan to just do it for you. Um, right. So as long as we can show what we've been doing and how we have taken charge of certain things, that's going to then lead to other people recognizing that and being willing to assist us in uh, achieving the goals or going after what it is we're trying to do.
9: <clears throat> right, okay.
1: Um, the page of swords reversed comes up next, and when that card appears, it says it's time to grow up, Uh, but it also says (laughs) it's time to get serious, get focused. We can't keep getting distracted from what it is that we have been wanting to do or go after, and we have to be more disciplined and establish better boundaries. So that may be boundaries with other people where we're willing to say no to them, but it also can mean Uh, Boundaries with ourselves where we're more disciplined and focused in creating a budget for ourselves and sticking to it um, and cutting away the things that are not conducive to what we're trying to accomplish. Um, It will take a little bit of time. Uh, with the reverse chariot card here, but the reverse chariot here also says don't drag your feet. This is not a time to be spinning your wheels. So if there has been something that you have been thinking about doing or going after, or if there's a loan you've been wanting to apply for or whatever, the reverse chariot card says now is not the time to wait. Now is not the time to get distracted and get off on a detour and then realize, oh shoot, I forgot to turn that paperwork in on time. (laughs) Um, So, and that's where that focus and discipline comes in. It says, right now, pay attention to the details, pay attention to what you need to be doing, pay attention to deadlines, pay attention to things that need to be um, completed, signed, uh, turned in, et cetera, and, and mm-hmm. make those the priority so that things aren't slipping through the cracks. Again, this is about you taking charge to make sure that you're moving those things forward rather than just right. kind of letting them lay around. Right. Um, In the short term, we have the seven of wands. And while the seven of wands can be a card of challenge, it's also a card of courage. And it says there will be some challenges, but if we're willing to stand up to them and push through them, we'll actually find ourselves successfully doing so. So, Know that there will still be some hurdles to get over or some things to do. Like, I'm just going to keep using the analogy of a loan. Um, If you went in to get a loan and they said, okay, well, we would probably be able to approve you for this. However, we're still going to need X, Y, and Z. Or we're still going to need to see three more months of you putting uh, X amount of dollars into savings before we can approve this. So don't see that as a no. And don't get discouraged by that versus saying, okay, you know what, I can do that. And that comes back to, oh. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to make sure I do that because I've been given, it's almost like a conditional yes, and I can get right. the full yes as long as I do my part. And that's very key. But it also says now is the time to do that. So doing those things and moving those things forward and finding out what you need to do in order to get the full yes is extremely right. important and key right now. Um, right. And the final card is the two of cups. Um, which is a nice card because it is a card of relationships and that kind of thing. So there is a sense that your finances are going to probably have some sort of connection to relationships that you foster or develop. But that that can include, you know, the relationship with a bank if you were getting the loan. So. Right. Not about just you doing it by yourself. It's simply you showing that you're willing to do your part and that you're leading the charge in what you need to be doing and that you have control over. Other people will recognize that and then want to help you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's very key to be uh, showing to people right now, at least making them aware of. Again, they may not give you the immediate yes, but if you are able to start showing them now, then this says that. Well right and they'll also be saying oh okay so now i know what i'm looking for from you come back to me so the 7 of wands would say perhaps in the next fire sign which is aries which is march april time frame they would say come back in 3 months show us that you've done this and then you know we're likely to say yes um, okay. so uh so i it, it's a very optimistic outlook financially it just shows there are things that you need to be doing and part of it is just putting yourself out there and getting on people's radar so they can see what you're doing, they can see what you need, they can let you know what else you still need to do, and they're then being very willing to help and support you if they see that from you.
9: Right, right, okay. Basically be aggressive but have a complete proposal out there so you can answer every question that comes about what you're going to do with it over there.
1: Well, have it as complete as you can and then be mm-hmm. open they may have additional things, and they may there mm-hmm. may not have been a way for you to know you needed some additional things, but just have it as complete as you can to show what okay. you have done up to this okay. point. Okay.
9: Do you think that would be something that could be, um, um, like, say, opening a business that with your family?
3: Mm.
1: Well, yes. Now, I pull a card specifically for that aspect of it. The lover's card does come up, which is, it it would be a positive response to that question. However, it also is a card that says there is a third party involved that oversees things. So this would, the, the idea would be, You probably may not do as well if you're just trying to do it with family. If you don't have Mm -hmm. an outside person who can be a little more objective and help to, uh, you know, kind of sometimes may have to play mediator, sometimes may have to kind of point people in the right direction because maybe everybody in the family, maybe there's nobody that has the particular knowledge or experience that's needed for something and having somebody else that can um, help with that or to oversee that. Really think of it as somebody that oversees things. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, so they kind of oversee it and give their blessing. So they they mm-hmm. they give you the big picture. They see what needs to be done or who's doing what and how it can be improved or how it can be more efficient or that kind of thing. Um, right. And then they, they, they give it their blessing by saying, okay, yes, now I see this that you're doing this. This is the right thing to be doing. So it's really that kind of third party that has that that overseer function that that keeps people on track and and maintains the objective eye that sometimes gets lost when it's just the dynamics of family, especially in business.
9: Yeah. Well, that seems like that would be a good aspect in the first place because it would be, like you said, an objective point of view that you can validate that you're going in the right direction or everybody's doing what they should be doing, you know,
1: and also somebody that can sit and listen to both sides when there may be some sort of a disagreement, and mm-hmm. help help everybody listen to each other and not be emotional about mm-hmm. what it is right. they're hearing because they aren't they, they have that objectivity and they're able to to, to soften or drain the emotion away, um, in order for true dialogue to happen rather than just mm. devolving into family argument.
9: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, that sounds pretty good to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is, is nicely <coughs> sorry, optimistic that things mm-hmm. can move forward or things can improve relatively soon um, as long as mm-hmm. we're really um, leading the charge and doing what yeah. we need to do and getting that spotlight on us so other people can also see what it is that our vision is, what we're thinking, what it is that we need, what we're trying to create, et cetera.
9: Right. Okay. All right. Okay. Sounds good to me.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much for calling in.
9: Yeah. You Have a good day. Have a good New Year on that part, too.
1: Well, thank you. And, and you do the same. Thanks. All right. Yeah. Enjoy. You, too. And that's going to bring us to the conclusion of this month's episode of Revolution with Hi-C. Thank you so much for listening in. Hopefully there was some uh, useful information for you uh, during this show in terms of thinking about the bigger picture of the year, how to plan accordingly uh, and I will hopefully look forward to having you join me here again next month. Re- uh, Revolution airs every second Sunday of each month so we will be back again in February on, uh, let's see it's going to be February 15 eight <laughs> Uh, February 8th, I do believe. I will verify that for you right now. Um, and it will, yes, February, uh, sorry, it will be February 14th. My apologies. Um, so February 14th, oh, Valentine's Day. We will come together in love. Uh, so February 14th, 10.30 a.m. Pacific time. I will look forward to joining you here again on Revolution with High sea. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of your
0: day. Thank you for joining us. Revolution with host Hi-C Lutmers, brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Revolution with Hi-C. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Amethyst Oracle. Divination with a queer twist with Heisey Ludmers and Charlie Harrington Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.